Welcome to the next episode in our study of Romans. We are currently in chapter 12. And Paul is telling us how we ought to conduct ourselves in life as those upon whom God has had mercy and has set apart for himself. You know, we need to understand that what Paul is teaching in this chapter is just as much a part of the Christian faith as anything he taught in the previous 11 chapters of this uh, epistle. Romans chapter 12 is a revelation of God's will for our lives. And it's just as vital for us to obey what we are taught in this chapter as it is for us to hold fast to the doctrines of the faith that we are taught in chapters 1 through to 11. The way that we conduct ourselves as Christians is just as much a part of our spiritual health as the doctrines we affirm. I'm saying this because I believe that one of the biggest problems in the church today is that we've separated our conduct as believers from our faith in the Lord Jesus. And this has led to the idea that as long as we believe the doctrines of chapters 1 to 11, all is well, even if we don't adhere to the teachings of chapter 12 and onwards. And I believe that this is fundamentally wrong. What Paul is teaching here is just as much a part of our faith in Christ as all he taught before it. And so we must submit our lives to the whole counsel of Scripture. So as we continue to study the practical outworking of our faith in Christ today, the challenge that I want to leave with you right at the very outset is to be doers of God's word and not just hearers of it. May we not just contemplate and discuss what is written in this chapter, but may we commit ourselves from the heart to doing what it says. With that said, let's go on in our study. Let's begin our study today by reading chapter 12 verses 9 to 21. As I said, we're in the book of Romans. We're going to read chapters 12 verse 9 to 21. Verse 9. Love must be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another with mutual love, showing eagerness in honoring one another. Do not lag in zeal. Be enthusiastic in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Endure in suffering. Persist in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good before all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Do not avenge yourselves, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We looked in the last episode at verse 9, which says, Love must be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And we saw what genuine love, in other words, love that is without hypocrisy or love that is unfeigned, actually is. We saw that it is more than just words and feelings. It involves action. It is compassion in action. It's showing mercy 
not merely feeling sympathy. We also looked at the positive characteristics the love of God produces in people and the negative characteristics that it eliminates. And lastly, we saw that true love, as God defines it, abhors evil and clings to what is good. And this is, according to this passage that we've just read, love's preeminent quality. And it is from this position, this hatred of evil and this love for what is good, that everything else Paul tells us to do in verses 10 and onwards springs forth. This is the foundation from which we are to live our Christian lives. Notice how the words evil and good repeatedly come up in this passage. In verse 9, the second part of verse 9, Paul says, Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Then in verse 17, he says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good before all people. And then Lastly, in verse 21, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, we are constantly surrounded by and being confronted with evil in our lives. As believers, we must make sure we don't get involved in doing what is evil at any time, no matter how provoked we might feel by the evil that is being done around us or that might even be uh, being perpetrated against us. We cannot allow ourselves to be dragged down to the level of evildoers. We must be irrevocably committed to doing only what is good in all circumstances. And this is what Paul is teaching us in this passage. As he says here in verse 21, he said, We are not to be overcome by evil, but we are to overcome evil with good. And you know that that's the only way we can overcome evil. We cannot overcome evil by doing evil. To repay evil with evil necessitates us doing evil. It means that we only end up becoming just like those who perpetrated the evil in the first place. And it means that we just end up becoming a part of the problem and not the solution. If we allow the evil around us or the evil perpetrated against us to suck us into doing evil, then all that has happened is we've become a part of the evil of this world, the very evil that we so hate. There's only one way for us as God's people to overcome evil. We must overcome evil by doing what is good. And this is why it's so vital for us to abhor what is evil. Because if we hate what is evil, we will not participate in it, no matter how much we are provoked. And this is why we must cling to what is good. We must do so because if we don't do so, we will allow ourselves to be dragged away from doing what is good into doing what is evil, because of all the evil taking place around us. And we've got to be careful that that doesn't happen to us. We cannot allow ourselves to be dragged away from doing what is good into doing what is evil because of the evil around us. Now, let's just look further at this passage and, and let's see how Paul describes the good we are to cling to, the good that we are to be constantly involved in doing, the good deeds, we could say, that we are to overcome evil with. We'll see as we look at this passage that Paul describes these good deeds, these, these things that we need to be constantly doing in three differing contexts. Firstly, he describes them in relationship to the church, or we could say towards fellow believers. Secondly, he, he describes them in relationship to society or towards our neighbors and uh, fellow citizens. And then lastly, with regards to our enemies, 
or we could say those who are actively engaged in perpetrating evil against us. So let's just have a look at this. When it comes to our fellow believers, how are we to conduct ourselves? Well, let's look first of all at verse 10. Paul says, Be devoted to one another with mutual love, showing eagerness in honoring one another. Well, what does he mean by this? What Paul was saying when he said that we are to be devoted to one another in mutual love, he was just simply saying this, and we could, we could paraphrase it this way. Love the brethren in the faith as though they are brethren in blood. In other words, what he's saying is that we need to love one another as fellow believers, as brothers and sisters, and as family. In other words, there needs to be a special type of love between us as believers, a special type of bond and commitment that we don't have with other people in society. The kind of bond and commitment that we would give to our own kin, our own flesh and blood. The kind of love for each other that leads us to be devoted to one another, to honor and value each other, that takes care of each other when we have needs, and is committed to living in harmony with one another. Let's just have a look at verse 13. This is what Paul says in verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Pursue hospitality. Or we could say, seek to be hospitable. Notice that he is specifically speaking here about the saints. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints. You see, our priority as believers is to take care of each other's needs. In fact, Paul in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, he, he wrote this. He said, so then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially, and I emphasize that word, to those who belong to the family of faith. He doesn't exclude us doing good to all people. In fact, he says that we need to be doing good to all people as, as much as we have opportunity to do so. But he prioritizes and gives special reference to the fact that we need to be taking care of one another as fellow believers. Our first priority is towards each other as fellow believers. And then after that, we can do good in society. Now, a good way for us to take care of one another is to do so by having a common pot. And this is the way the early church did it. If you read in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, you will see that the early church would take offerings. They would take collections of money to assist in needs, special needs for the saints at particular times. And you know that as a church, this is what we're doing. Part of the income that we receive from your giving is dedicated and given towards people that might have a need that they cannot meet that goes beyond their ability to meet themselves. And as leadership of the church, we are committed to doing that in the best possible way. And so that is a way that we can fulfill this particular command that we see here in verse uh, well, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, and in verse 13 of the passage that we're reading in Romans chapter 12. Let's just have a look now at the first part of Romans, uh, sorry, Romans 12, verse 16, or verse 16, the first part. Paul says, live in harmony with one another. You know, nothing irritated me more as a father when my children were growing up than them living in strife and not in harmony. And I have no doubt that this is exactly how God feels when we as His children do not live together in harmony with one another. Living in harmony with one another as His people, as His children, is God's will for us. 
You know, we cannot expect to have harmony with the world on every occasion. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15, what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? And so we can expect that there will be disagreement and there will be discord between us as believers and those in the world at times. And it'll be disagreements and discord that we cannot resolve. But between us who believe, there should be harmony. There should be a harmony that is based on the Word of God. It's based on the faith that we hold, the common faith that we hold. The fact that we have one Father, the fact that we have one Lord, one Spirit uh, is dwelling in us, that we have received one baptism, and that we are members of one body who hold to one hope. That's, that should bind us together, and it should be the, the source and the basis for our harmony as believers. So let me just sum up. Uh, what Paul tells us uh, in terms of how we are to conduct ourselves in relationship to each other in the church. Our culture as believers could be summed up as this. It must be characterized by devotion to one another, honoring one another, taking care of one another, and living in harmony with one another. And I wonder if an outsider was to come into our church would he find this to be the culture of our church? Would he find this to be something that describes Harvest Church, that we are devoted to one another, that we honor one another, we are taking care of one another, and living in harmony with one another? I think at this time, why don't you just pause the video and just ask yourself as a life group this question. Does this describe the way we relate to one another in our life group? And if not, how can we improve in this area? Welcome back. We've looked at how we are to conduct ourselves in relationship to our fellow believers. But what about with society as a whole? Well, firstly, we're told in verse 15 that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and we are to weep with those who weep. What does this speak of? Well, I believe it speaks of us having a genuine, heartfelt interest in not only each other's welfare as believers, but also with people in our society. As believers, we are to love people, and it should be a trademark of who we are in Christ. People should be able to see that we really do have a genuine interest in their welfare, that we are ready to rejoice with those who rejoice and we're ready to weep with those who weep, even those who are not a part of our family of believers. That's the way we should be. Secondly, we're told in the second part of verse 16, we're told this, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be conceited. If there's anything that turns people off, it's an attitude of superiority. And the bottom line is this, that we are what we are only by the grace of God. Do we have anything that we have not received? If you think in terms of our abilities, our health, the opportunities that we've had in life, the wealth and social standing those opportunities and abilities have produced for us. In fact, if you consider everything, we will be able to see, even down to the very breath that's in our lungs, that everything that we have, we have received. It is all by grace. And that means that we have no reason to be proud or to brag over anything that we have accomplished or anything we own or anything that we are in life. As sinners who have been saved by grace, our lives 
must be marked by humility towards all people, regardless of who they are or how gifted or educated or affluent they are. And so this humility is the second characteristic that should mark us as believers. Thirdly, we're told in verses 17 to 18, this is what Paul tells us there. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good before all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. We've already discussed the first part here where he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. But why does Paul tell us to consider what is good before all people? What did he mean by that? And why does he say in verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. What did he mean by that? Why did he say, if possible, and as far as it depends on you? Maybe you can just pause the video once again and take some time just to discuss this and ask yourselves if you are consciously doing this in, in your life and also just to discuss what this actually means and how do we apply it in our lives. And then come back and we'll continue the study. Welcome back. Uh, we have looked at how we are to conduct ourselves in relationship to fellow believers and in relationship to society in general. But now let's ask ourselves, how are we to conduct ourselves towards our enemies? Well, firstly, in verse 14, Paul says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And then in verses 19 to 21, he says this, do not avenge yourselves, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, you'll be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Notice that he's talking here specifically about people that are actively doing things against us and seeking to harm us in, in, some, in some way. Isn't what Paul tells us here exactly what the Lord told his disciples to do in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, if we have a look at that passage, you'll see that it is exactly. This is what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 38 to verse 48. He said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evil doer. But whoever strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other to him as well. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, give him your coat also. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and do not reject the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be like your father in heaven, since he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same, don't they? And if you only greet your brothers, what more? Do you do? Even the Gentiles do the same, don't they? So then, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
Well, with that passage in your mind, why don't you just pause once again and just discuss all this as a group and ask yourselves this. How can we implement this practically? And do we have anyone right now whom you would consider to be your enemy? And if so, ask yourself, how are you treating them? And maybe just discuss how you can go about resolving some of the issues in your own heart to ensure that we're able to do what we're taught here in Scripture. So just hit the pause button and we'll come back as soon as you're finished. Welcome back. Well, as we come to the conclusion of our study today, there are two more verses that we need to consider. These verses are verses 11 and 12, and they found right in the very heart of this passage. And this is what they say. Do not lag in zeal. Be enthusiastic in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Endure in suffering and persist in prayer. And I ask today, why would Paul put these exhortations right in the middle of what we have been discussing? And I think the answer is easy to come up with. It's because we get tired. We can grow weary of doing good. And we can easily begin to lag in zeal and lose our enthusiasm and forget that in all that we're, we're doing, and all that Paul has been telling us, we are serving the Lord. And that can lead us to begin to even resent the people that we are serving. It can lead us to resent the people in the church, people in society, and certainly to begin to have bitterness in our hearts towards our enemies. So what is the antidote to this? Well, it's found right here in verse 12. It's found in these words, rejoice in hope, endure in suffering, and persist in prayer. You see, it's threefold in nature. As we go through life, as committed to doing what is good, abhorring what is evil, refusing to get involved in evil, refusing to repay evil with evil, we need to remember three things. Firstly, we need to remember our hope in the Lord, and we need to rejoice in it. The hope of, it, of the eternal reward, the hope of the fact that everything we do in life is going to be rewarded, that not one thing is going to be forgotten. Secondly, we need to remember the need for us to endure suffering for the sake of the Lord. You know, doing good may bring suffering to us. It may bring some difficulties and some hardship. We mustn't be deceived into thinking that if we do good, everyone's going to just do good for us. Sometimes people hate us because of the fact that we do good. Sometimes people will persecute us because of the good that we're doing. Sometimes they'll do it because it, it actually shows them up and makes them feel bad. It exposes who they are and what they're doing. And so we can expect at times that we will suffer for doing good. And when it happens, we must never forget that we need to endure it. And so it's always good if we are suffering for doing good, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's maybe even in the church, or whether it's um, in society in, an, in another way, we need to just remind ourselves of the need for us to endure, to persist. And then lastly, we need to make prayer an integral part of our lifestyle. We will find that we get weary and we begin to lag in zeal and we begin to lose our enthusiasm 
And we begin to forget that we're serving the Lord in all that we do if we do not make prayer an integral part of our lifestyle. And so why don't you just end this time of study by praying together and thanking the Lord for the hope that we have in Him and asking Him to give you strength and ability to endure suffering for His sake and to be able to actually do and put into practice all that we've learned from the Scriptures today. I pray that this, uh, this time of study together, this time of reflecting on God's Word, will really have just focused us, uh, brought correction to us, just brought us back into line with the will of God, and that it will have also encouraged us and enabled us just to see what God's will for us and His plan for us as His people actually is in our daily lives. May the Lord bless you. May He keep you. May He make His face shine on you. And may He give you strength in Jesus' name. Amen.